Well, good afternoon once again. It's time for another edition of Banker with a Beer. I'm Jerry Keel from Northwestern Bank, and we have Sydney on the board today. Uh, we have a great guest along with a great beverage. Our guest today is Quinton Volk. He is the executive director of Eau Claire Jazz, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the jazz culture here in uh, Eau Claire today, uh, as well as the upcoming Eau Claire Jazz Festival, which is going to be a very exciting time. And we're going to be doing it enjoying a great beer. So our beer today is going to be an hazy IPA called Anti-Resin. And it is by the Six Point Brewery. So uh, I will get this opened here in a moment. But uh, Quentin, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you originally from Claire? I am not. I grew up in a uh, town called Loveland in Colorado, which is about an hour north of Denver. And real long story short here, I'll try my best, is um, I was into the I'm a trumpet player I should say and I was into the trumpet in like middle school um, but not enough to take it seriously I was actually a class clown pretty big in uh, middle school and early in high school and then right around I don't know late sophomore year junior year of high school I started really getting into trumpet because my trumpet teacher at the time uh, showed me some recordings by a group called the Chicago Symphony and the Chicago Symphony in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s even, uh, they were known for their brass, and a trumpet player specifically named Bud Herseth. And I heard that sound, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is just what I want to do. And uh, But the, ta- the town I was in was uh, pretty small and pretty naive in terms of the arts. And that I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but there just wasn't much for that town to offer. So... Um, I was really getting into it, uh, practicing a lot, because that was kind of like my mentality. I get really obsessed with things. So I was practicing a lot, but I didn't know how to apply it or what opportunities there were. I was really had no idea. No one was able to kind of show me that uh, show me that area. So uh, what ended up happening was started getting to the trumpet, and then uh, we are living in Colorado. My grandfather lived in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. And I was going to go up and see him in the middle of the summer going into my junior year for about a month, which I mean, is a long time for someone in high school. And I was up there by myself with just my grandfather and uh, my mom just kind of thinking, I'm sure, boy, he's like 14, 15 years old. We need to find something else for him to do in the middle of that time. So my uh, mother was starting to just look for things to me to do. And she Googled, quite literally Googled Wisconsin music camps, trumpet camps, something like that, and found this trumpet camp run by uh, Mr. Robert Baca, who is a college professor here at the university. And I went to that camp and, uh, you know, at that age, at least for me, you don't have a brain that's developed enough to know if the source information you're learning is truly, you know, incredible, but you do have an innate, uh, ability to understand if the relationships are genuine. And that's what I had up there. It was the, the faculty guys up there, including Mr. Baca, uh, they just made you feel like the most important person in the room. And at 14 or 15, unbelievably influential that can be. So, I went to that camp, and uh, the those faculty people just made you feel so important and heard. And uh, that was the first time I was surrounded by people that were doing what I've had a large, a lot of passion in, but they're doing it for a living. You know, so Mr. Baca, uh, especially at that time, was playing gosh, thirty, thirty-five weeks of Broadway shows in the Twin Cities. Another guy, Matt Mealy, was there. He was a faculty guy, uh, playing lead trumpet with every anyone and everyone. Uh, Mel Torme. Uh, 
Count Basie Orchestra, Glenn Mill Orchestra, rather, uh, a, lot, a lot of touring bands around there, and a few of the faculty people up there gave me an, I, an image of what I could accomplish if I kept going with the thing. So I, uh, at the end of that week, you're supposed to have a, you can get a 30-minute lesson with a faculty person up there, and Mr. Baca's faculty time was already filled. I was like, dang it. But the next guy that was up there uh, that had an availability was Matt Mealy, and I got a lesson from him. And I just spilled everything about how I was so interested in trumpet. And up to that point, I had no one to really share this with. So I, w I think I was very excited. And I will always remember Matt Mealy looked at me and said, you need to come to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And I didn't think twice about it. I applied. I didn't look at anywhere else. I was offered a few, not to pat myself on the back, but offered a few full-ride scholarships. I was you can call me a high schooler. I looked right in their faces and said, nope, I'm going to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Uh, I remember my parents were thinking, you have to have a plan B. You know, what if it doesn't work out? And I was just like, nope, it's going to work out. I need to go here. And uh, I did. Moved a thousand miles away, and uh, the rest was history, pretty much. Here, let's start with the beer. No kidding. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that's just fantastic. That's worthy. That, that, that is. That's, that's going to go down a bit quick. Nice. So, you came up to Eau Claire. Mm -hmm. um, now, your love of jazz, was it, was it you were a trumpet player, a classic trumpet player, yeah. or a jazz <laughs> player? And, and right. I know in talking with um, Mr. Baca, I mean, and this was actually going way back to talking to the Chancellor, I asked him one time, so how many jazz classes sure. do they have at UW-Eau Claire? And the answer is none. Right. You know, they just, you learn by improvisation, by listening to people around yep, you. Of course. So, how do you go from being a high school classically trained trumpet players to learning jazz of course and that's exactly what i did by the way so in uh like i said when i got into trumpet i was uh purely into classical music purely into classical i didn't pl i played in jazz band uh because the school was small if you were you know if you were interested enough in a musical instrument you kind of played in everything and i kind of did that but i couldn't swing two eighth notes even remotely, uh, to the point, uh, I even know if Mr. Baca knows this, so if, I hope he's not listening, but uh, I almost didn't even think about going to Eau Claire because I knew the jazz program was so good, and I thought, I don't want to do jazz. I want to play classical music. That is called naive, by the way. <laughs> and so I, uh, I couldn't play a lick of jazz. I showed up uh, to college with my C trumpet, which is what you play in orchestra, and I was diehard orchestra, brass quintet, classical stuff. Uh, but I did jazz because that was just something. And and then high school, you were just you just kind of did. If you played an instrument and you were okay at it, you played in all these ensembles. So I auditioned for jazz band, and I I think I got in. Uh, but it was uh, it was a rude awakening. I was on fourth trumpet, and uh, I mean, Mr. Baca's top band at the university is is usually one of the top if not the top college band in the country. Not just undergraduate, they they're in the same competition with graduate schools as well. But I was in for a rude awakening because we, boy, they showed up for the first rehearsal and we played three notes and I was on fourth trumpet and I thought, oh boy, I am, I am in it. Everyone in that room, it's identical to everyone in a room speaking French and I'm the only one speaking Spanish. It was, you know, oh, it was bad. The band, for instance, I'll try to, you know, everyone is supposed to swing it, and it's a legato art form. So, uh, the band would go, uh, do 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 da do and I came in, do do da 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 da, and uh, 
just the rest of the trumpet section put their trumpets down and looked at me and basically saying, you better get your stuff together quick here or you're in trouble. So I worked my butt off and just slowly, slowly got better. It's language, so it's not an academic thing where you can study for 10 hours and then you're magically okay at it. It takes a lot of time uh, to really immerse yourself in how that language works. So I, it took a long time, but yeah, I almost didn't come to the school because there was jazz and I didn't want to play jazz. So it's, you're absolutely right. I was classically trained. Like most people, you have to learn how to play your, the instrument first, and then you can learn the language. So, so is Eau Claire strictly a jazz school? I mean, if you want to stay in classical trumpet, can you still learn classical trumpet? Or of course. Is, in, in, at the university? The, uh, of the entire trumpet studio, you have to. That's kind of the foundation of the teaching, actually, is classical. And then jazz is the, the, the classical element is the foundation of it and then the jazz is purely from interest but the jazz studies program is bloomed into this thing that the interest and the passion is so contagious you'd be silly not to be involved in that but there is always a classical thing always so there was yeah there was never a semester that I remember being in school or anyone being in school where um, if you were in jazz band you had to be in something else classically oriented and then your trumpet lessons it was always you know you gotta learn. You gotta play the trumpet well. You can't play jazz if you can't play the trumpet well. That's just that just doesn't work out. In classical etudes, all that kind of stuff, classical uh, uh, solos, all that kind of stuff, doing recitals, playing in church, all that you were expected to do. And then the jazz was an elective on top of that. So why Eau Claire? I mean, is, is it just? I mean, obviously, uh, Bob Baca has a huge following, but I sure. mean. If I was to potentially rank schools in the fine arts throughout the country, right. uh, Wisconsin probably wouldn't make a short list, and certainly Eau Claire right. wouldn't make right. the sh maybe a list off that. I mean, how has it become such a hotbed? Great question. Um, I think it's the culture of the upper Midwest, to be honest. So how do I best put it? In, in actually, just like Shell Lake, you get so immersed in the Shell Lake camp, and it's identical to Eau Claire, that you get so immersed in the passions of everyone else around you because of a few things. One, everyone, I think, it just wants to help each other. That is an Eau Claire community characteristic. Everyone wants to help each other. There would be no Pablo Center. There would be nothing like that if the community wasn't geared towards waking up and thinking, how can we help each other? And I think that is exactly why the jazz art form in Eau Claire is so substantial because uh, it's a little bit, uh, everyone is kind and wants to help each other and they want to share their interests with each other and um, the jazz studies program quickly took off because of those very attributes and then Mr. Baca likes to joke about it but it's kind of true there's not much else to do when you're in college and you're in Eau Claire you know if you went to college in like Colorado you'd be really distracted by the Rocky Mountains and blood in Eau Claire though in college you know, you have no reason not to practice eight hours a day because that's, you know, it's miserably cold for six months out of the year, so just stay inside and practice, right? Um, and that mixed in with the personalities of the typical Midwestern type of thing is what I think helps gel together with such a beautiful personality into what is a jazz studies program. And again, that it sounds a little bit silly, but you almost have to go to a jazz band rehearsal because it's they're joking and laughing and making all this kind of stuff and then they put those horns up there and it is such bona fide passion by every person it is unbelievable and then after they get done playing they're you know hey yeah that was really cool how you did that i you know let's work on that and they're all working together and 
I'm sure Mr. Baca has said uh, on this podcast, he doesn't do much directing. He almost facilitates to make sure that the interest and the passion that they all have is going towards the right direction. Um, But the passion and the interest is completely driven by the students, and it has something to do with the culture here. So let's just kind of move through kind of, so you're in college, uh, parents are maybe concerned for parents out there saying, well, what are you going to do with this trumpet degree? I mean, how is that going to go? So... You graduate. Tell me, can I get, get maybe you gra- graduated? How, how bring you guys up to today? Right. So uh, in college, obviously, that was the first time that I was surrounded by people that were really doing this trumpet thing. When I was a freshman, you know, whatever age that is, uh, the people at the top of the studio were playing things called gigs, which I was like, oh my gosh, you can get paid to play the trumpet? Wow. And uh, so I I was so immersed in that. And again, I've um, even before college, I've had a pretty addictive personality that if I'm interested in something it is zero or ten and you can ask my wife because she gets really annoyed by that I get really interested in something and that's like all I do and for this it just happened to be trumpet so I show up to college and these people older in the studio were out playing I clearest day remember hanging out with a few people and then around four or five o'clock they had to leave to go play a gig and I was like what you know, that's amazing. I want to do that. So boy, did I practice hard. And uh, it was an interesting time for me because I was the only person in my age in the studio, which was weird. So in the studio, there's two or three or four or five people per grade. I was the only freshman and there was a lot of older folks. So it was a really lopsided thing. So it was like this little puppy walking into arena of bulls. But I loved it because uh, I was just saturated in the uh, in the passion and the skill of all these folks. I got my butt kicked every day by these guys, and I loved it. So I uh, knew that gigs were a thing, and I'm starting to learn. And boy, then learning Mr. Baca plays these Broadway shows. He plays the Broadway shows at the uh, uh, Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis, which is the top theater in the Midwest. So going and hearing him play trumpet on Wicked or well gosh any Broadway show it was an absolute dream come true I mean I remember getting teary eyed the first time I could see that and you could I could sit in the pit behind him because you were in a studio so I sat in the pit as he's playing this Broadway show and I just thought this is exactly what I wanted to do because I again I've had so much interest leading up to that but I didn't know where I could apply it it was the first time that someone said hey you have all this stuff this is where you can put it um so anyways, I, that was kind of what geared me to work real I did work I worked really, really hard in college, really hard. And uh, therefore, and certainly because of luck and some other things as well, by my junior year, I got uh, a f- some stuff, some trumpet gig offers and uh, it was significant enough job offers that I had to take time away from school and Mr. Baca said you absolutely need to do this because the real world experience is immensely helpful if when you come back and apply it to college because college is this academia it's easy to get uh your mind small enough in the thinking of school because it's obviously tremendously difficult that you start to forget that there's other things outside of school so mr baca was a huge proponent of me leaving to do these jobs so i left for about three years i played uh in the disney Disneyland band as a trumpet player that band was called the uh, Disneyland All-American College Band you apply for it in college obviously and uh, they take four trumpets four trombones five saxophones and a rhythm section so a big band and uh, they market it as the top college instrumentalist from around the country and uh, that was my first I call it my first big boy gig and 
because again it was kind of the top folks from around the country and further the general age of that band was graduate students so they were about my age right now they were 27 28 I was 20 years old I was by far the youngest person in there so yet again I was a baby puppy in an arena of bulls but again I fell in love with it and that was my first time realizing then you could get paid to play the trumpet holy macaroni so I did that for a summer, went back to uh, college for a year. Then I did a cruise ship for many months. Uh, then I left and did the next thing, which is Broadway tours. I did Broadway tours for about two years. I ran around the country playing in pretty much every town, everywhere from, you know, Synecdoche, New York, or wherever that is, to really big towns. And I really enjoyed some of it. <laughs> and then uh, after after my last tour... I went back to Colorado where my family lived and my at that time my girlfriend lived and uh, we were we were dating at that point by about six years we were long distance that entire time and which is I wouldn't wish that on anyone but we were long distance for that entire time and the my last Broadway tour ended around oh gosh I would say like May or even like February where I couldn't go back into school smoothly so I went back to Colorado because I thought I could hang out with my family and then also I could be with my girlfriend a lot more I boy I, do, I just miss her and and she was such a sweetheart she would run around the country with me and meet me places I she would she ran out to Disneyland for a week to see me I she went on the cruise ship for a week uh, it was hard for me to make sacrifices for her and she made all these sacrifices and I just really thank her for that but it was time for me to give her something back so I moved back there for a few months and I landed another Broadway thing but it was in-house which means you work at a in-house theater for many months and I worked uh it was a hard gig it was about six months long of uh every night uh except Monday so it was Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday evening shows and then double Saturday and double Sunday which is a matinee and an evening show so I was gigging a lot but I was able to go home and I was able to see my girlfriend and I just loved that and I thought this was uh gonna be my last big gig I was almost done with school my my girlfriend at the time was almost done we're gonna move back to Wisconsin together great uh we're about a few months away from doing that and I get a call Quentin would you like to do one more Broadway tour? Uh, and I initially thought there's no way, but the book was really, it was just geared towards how I play the trumpet, and it was a big tour. It was a very popular tour, and it's a big one. And I talked to my trumpet, Mr. Baca, and he said, I think you should take it. Um, so I took it, and I told my girlfriend at the time that I was going to do one more tour, and it's 10 months long, and I saw her eyes turn a different color. Not out of frustration that's that's now that we're married but at that time it was pure sadness and it broke my heart and I thought okay I have to do I'm going to take this to her but I have to do one of two things I either got to propose or I got to get her a puppy just to get her through that tour so uh what I ended up doing was the puppy wasn't too financially a good idea so I proposed to her we hiked a 14er in Colorado that I was absolutely not in shape for. I almost had to stop. I puked on the side of the mountain, but I was like, I got to get up this mountain. <laughs> I remember I was halfway up, and I was laying on the ground, and I had cramps everywhere and, uh, because I was dehydrated and the altitude and everything. And uh, my, at that point, girlfriend said, we got to go down. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, we do, but we actually got to get to the top because that's where I'm going to propose to you. She didn't know that yet, but we got to the top and I proposed at the highest 14 er in Colorado. Um, and uh, we have some pictures of that and it's just absolutely, you can see for miles and miles and miles. And I proposed to her up there and, uh, 
and then of course I did the next best thing and then I left a week later. So I went on this Broadway tour and she planned 99.999% of the wedding while I was gone. And, uh, and then I came back and then we moved up to Wisconsin and got married and I finished up school and I was a full-time travel player. I was, I was working pretty good at that point, which full-time isn't uh full-time musician isn't necessarily what people consider a full-time business person where you're in the office nine to five full-time musician is you pretty much have a gig every night. Um, because again, you work in the evenings most times. And I was, I was doing that a lot in the cities. I loved the drive and uh, I was working anywhere from three to seven nights a week in the Twin Cities. And uh, my wife was working at the Boys and Girls Club at the time and she was loving her thing. So I wasn't, you know, we weren't looking too far in advance. We were just finally able to be together, uh, together. You know, we did long distance for so long that the amount of times that we talked about just, or we would talk to each other over the phone and dream about the day that we would actually live together and own a dog and all this kind of stuff. Um, and now we are finally doing it and we're really enjoying life and, uh, working full-time trumpet player, blah, 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 blah. And then I clearest day remember it was about eight months into that thing and things were going great. A guy named Mr. Baca, who's the artistic director of Eau Claire Jazz Inc. Texted me early one morning and said, Hey, would you like to practice at 7am? Which wasn't uncommon. So I didn't think anything of it. I said, yeah, great. And he's like, okay, let's grab a cup of coffee beforehand, which was very abnormal. So I thought, okay, I'm in trouble for about something. And we go and grab a cup of coffee, and he talks to me about the Eau Claire Jazz Festival. And I remember thinking in my brain, you know, Mr. Baca, I played lead trumpet in the Eau Claire Jazz Festival for like six years. Why are you telling me about this? And then he was starting to talk to me about the business side of it. And then he finishes that speech, and he looks at me and says, no, would you have any interest in being the executive director? And it just, I, it left me speechless because I was interested in business through college. My father was a big uh, proponent of you you should be frugal and save your money and invest. So I was into that a lot. So I got a business administration minor. And uh, what I ended up doing was continuing to just go th straight with the music. But I always had a business idea, but nothing that I've applied at that point. So then Mr. Baca was like, you should do this. And I was like, oh my, I don't know what a board meeting is. I don't know what minutes are, anything like that. But uh, I applied and got the position. And now I'm a full-time trumpet player and I run the Eau Claire Jazz Festival at the same time. Wow. Quite a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, as far, I guess what I want to leave some time here to talk a little bit about the Eau Claire Jazz Festival for those who haven't ever heard of it, of course. don't know what it's about. Uh, it's turned out to be one of the most my one of my most favorite things I do here in the Chippewa Valley year round. Sure, but can you give us like a, a thirty second overview of what the Eau Claire Jazz Festival is mm -hmm. all about? Of course, it's in its fifty sixth year this year, and it's the world's longest standing and largest intern run jazz festival. And basically, what that means is again the the jazz festival is run by the organization called Eau Claire Jazz Inc. And there's an executive director, which is me, and we have a board of directors and all that kind of stuff. But the logistical processes is run by the interns. And we have anywhere from three to, I think one time we had 15 interns that pretty much spend all year long planning for this festival because it is a huge, huge festival. And it's always in the end of April. And there's basically four main elements to it. There is the student sessions with the master classes, 
the concert series and the jazz crawl. And uh, the first two, the student sessions and the master classes, is education-based, where the student sessions is when a school registers for the festival. They show up, they perform, they get an adjudication, uh, they might get an award, and they go home. And that's a pretty common thing. That's been a common thing in festivals for years and years and years. <clears throat> and then the second thing that we started to do was these things called master classes. We thought, great, bands are already here and they're doing the, the playing stuff, but let's get them... Let's give them even more educational opportunities, and let's hire world-class artists to come in and talk about their life and that kind of stuff, much like I just blabbed to you for 20 minutes. But that's uh, we do that, but with people that are actually really cool. So we have master classes every hour, all day long, both days. So that's the master classes element. And uh, for those education things, a common festival you would think would see about 30 bands. We see uh, one of our top years, we saw 136 bands come through in two days schools uh, a lot a lot of kids so then the second of the four categories that we have is the uh, concert series and the jazz crawl the concert series is a sold commonly sold out concert now at the Pablo where we are dedicated to bringing in truly world-class artists that the quote small town of Eau Claire would never see so we've brought on Chris Bodie of course who plays at a sold out Excel Energy Center uh, this year we have Diane Schur and Donnie McCaslin. Diane Schur is one of the innovators of vocal jazz music. She, The amount of Grammys that she has, and she is of the age and of the experience level that you can tell her, you can categorize her as someone that has truly been around. Uh, so we have those people coming in, and that's at the Pablo Center. And then the fourth thing is the jazz crawl, where that came around. It was initially called 52nd Street, but that thing came around because, um, you know, six, seven years ago, the Pablo Center was starting to become a thing, and so much development was happening around town that uh, I started to notice that the community went from waking up and thinking about how to better themselves to thinking about how to better each other. I mean, think about it. A, the town of our size, of Eau Claire, made the Pablo Center through, obviously, support and funding and that kind of stuff. That, that is un believable a big town like dallas sure of course you have a pablo center but eau claire wisconsin are you kidding me and uh, i had a special connection with that because again i toured around the country for gosh three years and i played in every small and large town that there is really and uh it was all arts focused so i got a pretty intimate idea how these different towns were and a lot of them were you show up in a suit you do your thing and you go home and it wasn't much of a connection where here in eau claire there is such a constant flow of identity and family-like behavior around town that um, uh, it was just incredible. So what we decided to do seven years ago was we needed to add another element to this thing that focuses on the community and uh, thanks them for their support and their interest in the arts. And that's where the idea of the Jazz Call came around. And what that is is we take anywhere from 10 to 18 venues downtown Eau Claire and we hire live bands. Uh, to play in those venues from 5 p.m. on Friday of the festival until 2 a.m. the next morning. And people like you, Jerry, will stay up until 2 a.m. I'm starting to, to waver on that a little bit. But we, uh, we, have, we hire all those bands, and they come in and play, and we absolutely pack the place. In our top year, we had 3,500 community members come out to that. And after that, we thought, boy, we're on to something because it, I think it gives a community a sense of, wow, we created this. You know, we help partner with these venues. We support these venues. A lot of the bands are locally based. A lot of them are university affiliated or just bands that are generally grown up around this area. We don't. We try not to. We don't try not to, but we don't have a lot of venue or uh, groups rather that are from 
you know, the Twin Cities or anything. It's pretty much all Eau Claire people, and they absolutely pack the place. So what would, for someone who's interested in, in going and maybe never gone before, what would be your recommendation for how you can enjoy this? I would start with a jazz crawl uh, because that's one of the most energetic events you could go to. And I would show up right at 5 o'clock p.m. on Friday, April 22nd. And uh, in typical Eau Claire Jazz Festival ways, we are starting the whole thing with a giant parade to pretty much wake up the entire <laughs> entire town to say, hey, come out and party with us. And uh, we do that parade, and then Chancellor Schmidt does a big old announcement, and then boom, uh, 10 or 11, no, like 14 venues, right at 6 o'clock p.m., they all start live music. And uh, you, you honestly, I mean, Jerry, you've been there plenty of times. You can go from venue to venue, and you will be flabbergasted by the quality and the energy until your feet fall off at like 2 a.m. For me, it's like midnight, but Jerry, you're you're crazy. You can go till 2 a.m. And uh, that we, would we be... We get a hotel downtown, <laughs> and we just crash, <laughs> yeah. and then we get up about 9 the next morning, yeah. but it's so worth it. Oh, then, so that would be the first thing I would say, because that also gives you a interesting perspective into what this community has developed because again all the all the bands you'd be listening to are pretty much homegrown in eau claire which is pretty incredible well one last thing okay so if you wanted to to join i think or go what i found and tell me if, I, if i'm different on, on, on this quentin but i mean just go online look up uh eau claire jazz festival and uh, 2022 and you can buy wristbands mm -hmm. uh, online uh, and then you can also uh, Dan Schur is going to be playing uh, at the Pablo both Friday and Saturday night right. and get your tickets now once you hear this because I'm sure they'll be sold out uh, she is a fabulous performer I have uh, my music uh, service and I d dialed in Diane Shore and, and and just tried to listen to what she has she's incredible she's got a great one of, she has a uh, one of her albums is Diane Shore with uh, Count Basie yep. live oh my heavens yep it's that is the, unbelievable it's one of the most well regarded albums to this day actually we're truly one of the most viewed and one of the most bought albums of I mean the amount of Grammys they won from that album there's one of the most famous producers of all time named Quincy Jones and pretty much everyone knows Quincy Jones um, by the way has a nickname of Q which is also how I go so if there's any relevance there I gotta know <laughs> but Quincy Jones they commonly ask him what are your favorite albums and he has two of them it is Frank Sinatra live at the Sands and Diane Sher live with Count Basie Orchestra and that says something that really does. So I know we're, we're wrapping up here shortly, but Quentin, thank you so very much for thank joining you. us. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, end of this month, we're going to be going downtown uh, Eau Claire and enjoying the Eau Claire Jazz Festival. We enjoyed a hazy IPA anti-resin uh, from the Six Point Brewery. Uh, Sydney, thanks for helping us on the board, and have a great day.